Quarterbacks, hosted by W. Earl Kitchings. Our podcast is dedicated to preserving the legacies of black quarterbacks who've played the game of American football. And now, here's your host, W. Earl Kitchings. Welcome to another edition of The Forgotten Quarterbacks. I'm your host, Earl Kitchings, and we are glad to be with you for another episode and edition of this podcast because we are always looking forward to bringing you information, news, whatever we can find that we think will be of some value to you. We are here to bring it to you here at The Forgotten Quarterbacks, and we're happy to be bringing you this episode because it is dedicated, as we stated, we're going to be bringing you and highlighting quarterbacks from black colleges throughout the football season so you'll know who some of these outstanding men were, what they did, where they played, and some of their statistics and records. So today what we're going to do is highlight my alma mater, Florida A&M University and the quarterbacks who have played there. And before I go any further, let me just give a big shout out to a former quarterback, former player, coach, athletic director, Mr. Ken Riley, RIP, rest in peace, Ken, for being inducted into the 2023 NFL Hall of Fame, finally getting his due after many years of People wondering if he would ever get in. Well, now he's a Hall of Famer. Uh, His wife and son did an excellent job of accepting that recognition for him. And I know he's smiling up there in heaven with his former coach, Jake Gaither. So congratulations, coach. So today we're going to talk about the Rattlers quarterback legacy. And for many years, Jake Gaither coached many successful FAMU football teams and won championships and conference titles. And most of that was done via the ground game. A lot of outstanding running backs played for Jake. Uh, One of the most prolific that he had was a guy by the name of Willie Gallimore, who went on to play for the Chicago Bears. Uh, He had a few other guys to play for him, Bob Hayes, Robert Paramore, uh, several other guys, but those are probably named the ones you know know the names of first and foremost. But in the early 60s, Coach Gaither brought in a guy from Miami, probably the biggest quarterback he had ever had in his program at the time. His name was James Quick Tullis. James Quick Tullis from Miami stood about six foot four, six foot four, and he was a pocket passer. He wasn't going to do much scrambling around. He would just drop back, sit there, and let it fly. And his size was definitely the kind of size that 
the pro teams were looking for. And while he went to a camp, he did not get an opportunity to show off his skills. But while playing for Florida A&M, he led the Rattlers to three SIAC conference titles. That's the Southern Intercollegiate Athletic Conference, SIAC, and two national, black college national championships. So here was a James Quick Tullis at 6'4". But then a couple of guys came after him, Ernie Hart, Elroy Moran, and then one of the most elusive guys that played for Jake was Ken Riley. He had an outstanding career and an intelligent quarterback who suited Coach Gaither's schemes and was able to run the program and, and, and get it done. But the next passing quarterback that came to Florida A&M was a guy by the name of Steve Scruggs. Steve, Steve Scruggs came out of St. Petersburg, Florida, left-handed, an outstanding quarterback, and was the first quarterback to lead Florida A&M over uh, Tampa University, University of Tampa, in the first game between an all-black and an all-white college back in 1969. That happened down in Tampa. And the Rattlers end up winning that game 34-28. to And if I'm not mistaken, I believe that was Jake's final game of his coaching career. He would stay on at Florida A&M as the athletic director. Uh, he served as athletic director and head football coach, but he would stay on at Florida A&M as athletic director for a few more years uh, before stepping down and retiring. But in between the time Jake left and 1975, they didn't really have much of a passing game. They really didn't. Uh, and they didn't have many prolific quarterbacks to play. Uh, even though they had some quality guys, they just weren't, you know, the passing type of guys. And the, the guy I'm going to speak of next was really not a passing, passing type of guy, but he was just a flat-out winner. And Albert Chester arrived at FAMU in 75 as a freshman, but earned his starting role in 1976 and did not relinquish that until he graduated. He went 23-1 and in his last two seasons and won two of the most memorable games in FAMU football history. Really, you could almost say four of the most memorable games. But last game of the season, they played Grambling. The 
starting running back at the time broke his ankle, Ike Williams. So you're down your top running back, but FAMU was still able to beat Grambling. But before that game, they had played against Bethune-Cookman in the, what they would probably say was the second Florida Classic, down 17 to nothing at the half. Albert Chester would lead the Rattlers back to being uh, up by the score of 20 to 17. But the tables were, momentum was starting to look to go toward Bethune Cookman's way when on a fourth and 16, Albert Chester scrambled about 30 yards in reverse and then went another 40 yards forward to get a first down and goal and scored the touchdown that basically put the Wildcats away and won that game 27-17. to So that game, then the Orange Blossom Classic game against Grambling. And during that time, FAMU went from being a Division II program to moving right into Division One Double A. I mean, this happened within a matter of weeks. The NCAA created this new division, and they created this new championship in 1978, Division One Double A. So in the semifinal game that year, FAMU played Jackson State, and I believe Jackson State was a formidable team because the game was very close, FAMU winning the game 16-11. From that point, FAMU had to go out to Texas and play the University of Massachusetts in the first ever Division I AA championship game. And although he went 0-6 in passing in that game, it was a very cold, I mean a cold game out there on the Texas Plains I mean, that game, the temperature might have been in the 30s, but it probably felt like in the teens. The running of Mike Solomon and Melvin McFadden broke the back of the University of Massachusetts, and Chester was able to lead FAMU to a 12-1 record and a national championship. Following the 1977 season, where he led FAMU to a 11-0 record and the Black National College Championship. So in 78, he won the Black National College Championship and the NCAA Championship and the SIAC Championship all in one year. And that was a great season. So Albert Chester will always have his name in Rattler football lore. But then there were some other guys that came along that, Definitely made their presence known at FAMU. And the likes of Tony Ezell, the likes of Otiman Sampson, the likes of a Nathaniel Billy Koontz were all in that 78 to 80s range. Through the, through the mid-90s. Uh, Samson was there in 95, 97. 
Ezel was there 88 to 90. Koontz was there 80 82. Uh, there was another quarterback, I must mention him, that led the Rattlers uh, in 79. His name was Sammy Knight. And the reason why I have to mention him is because he led the Rattlers to a win over the University of Miami in 1979 by the score of 16 to 13. And that was a big ball game, big ball game. But the next three guys that I'm going to talk about, these guys were flat-out passing guys. The first guy they call the Mad Bomber. Patrick Bonner, excuse me, Patrick Bronner, Bonner, excuse me, Patrick Bonner, played at FAMU for one season only. One season. 1998. And in that 98 football season, passed for 4,128 yards, 38 touchdowns. And it was at that time the RAC boys became prevalent. The Rack boys, run after catch. Bonner led the Rattlers to an 11-2 record. They went to the playoffs. And he could flat out throw. Now, you may ask, well, why was he only there for one year? He transferred from Temple University in his senior season. And that senior season, I guarantee you, he would not have had had the kind of record that he had uh, at Temple that he had at FAMU. I guarantee you that. He just would not have. That was one phenomenal season. So Bonner, you know, did his thing, product of Fort Lauderdale, Florida, came back home and led the Rattlers. In 1999, another guy transferred in. He was from Lauderdale Hill, Florida. J. Juan Sider. One year, he threw for 2,622 yards, got FAMU all the way to the semifinals of the 1AA playoffs. And he finished his one season with a record of 10-3. and three. That game that they played Youngstown State will always be a memorable game because they were oh so close to going to their second Division I AA championship. And just so you know, FAMU is the only black college to play in what is now called the FCF, FCS playoffs in the championship or semifinal games. The only black college to play in the final or semifinal games of FCS slash Division I AA. Then from 99 through 2002, Quinn Gray was the quarterback for the Rattlers. His record was 16-7 and seven as a starter. He threw for 7,378 yards, 57 touchdowns. Quinn Gray was about 6'4", big quarterback like Sider and Bonner. Both of those guys somewhere between 6'3", 6'4". 
and Quinn Gray could put it on the money too. So in a realm of about three years, four years, you had three prolific passers at FAMU. I wonder how good things would have been if Bonner had come a year earlier because Otiman Sampson did an outstanding job, was an outstanding quarterback for FAMU. And the coach at that time was Coach Billy Joe, and Coach Joe put some teams together that, you know, winning was just not going to be superseded by anything else. So you had Otiman Sampson, Sampson left, Bonner came, Bonner left, Sider came, Quinn Gray was on the team with with uh, with Sider, and then when Sider left, he became the starter, and didn't really have any quarterbacks of note. And I'm gonna put the asterisk there because there were some quarterbacks who played at A&M who were Caucasian quarterbacks, and because of what this organization and what our website and what our podcast is about, uh, they were outstanding quarterbacks in their own right. And I do want to mention the fact that they did help our program tremendously. So I don't want anybody to not think we don't value them. But it was not until 2011 when Damon Fleming from Jacksonville came and played from 2011 to 2014 and finished his career with 6,954 yards, 50 touchdowns. And, you know, we haven't had, you know, again, we've had some quarterbacks, but right now uh, we have a guy by the name of Jer- Jeremy Musa, uh, who is leading the, court, uh, the Rattlers. He came from Vanderbilt. So, the first game of the season for the Rattlers will be against Jackson State, like it was last year and the year before down in Miami at the Orange Blossom Classic. And the FAMU faithful are looking forward to Musa leading the team better than they were led last year because the Rattlers got a spanking last year. But Musa is that guy this year, a uh, graduate from uh, – graduate player from Vanderbilt and everything is on his shoulders this year. He, he, you know, he lost the first two games of the season and then family ran off nine straight wins. Uh, but one of those wins was against losses was against North Carolina. And I think the loss against uh, Jackson state, the way they did cost them an opportunity to go into the playoffs. But those are the quarterbacks that, we featured in the, you know, our newsletter, the post route. You can go online at our website, the at quarterfyback.com. Click on blogs and you can read our newsletters there and read about these guys, see their pictures, and get a feel for, you know, what HBCU quarterbacking has been over the years. Like I said, we're going to be featuring one program per week throughout the course of the football season. So I got my alma mater in and I'm looking forward to the 2023 football season kicking off and I'm looking forward to them getting to the celebration bowl, which 
is the bowl game to decide who the Black National College champion will be. Now, as far as the Bip Memorial Trophy, and the Bip Memorial Trophy is named after a former FAMU quarterback, Oliver Joyce. And again, he paid the ultimate price by being injured in practice and subsequently uh, passing after he was injured. He had his neck broken and never recovered. But the Bip Memorial Trophy, that was his nickname. He was a product out of Jacksonville, Florida, Matthew W. Gilbert High School. So we honor him with the name of our trophy, and we want to just keep his memory alive through that. But the quarterbacks that we gave you tonight from FAMU, those are some of the best that FAMU has ever produced. I'm sure some people might argue that, but as they say, well, you can always come up with your list. But those are ours for tonight, and we appreciate you being with us tonight here on the Forgotten Quarterbacks, and we hope that uh, you go check out our website. If you want to get a copy of the book, The Forgotten QBs, you can go on the website and place your order there. Uh, you can pay for it through Cash App or Zeal. But until the next time, I'd like to thank once again the Anthony Lawrence Collection for being a provider of the official merchandise for Quartify Back. And we hope that if you are in need of any gear for your HBCU, go to the AnthonyLawrenceCollection.com. They are about to open up their first store in Baton Rouge, Louisiana. And please patronize them as often as you can. For my producer and director and IT guy, Mr. Deterion Sturgill, and the Sturgill family, because they will be welcoming a new addition to the family this month, we like to say thank you for joining us, and as always, as we end our show each time, we tell you to go for the bomb. Until next time, everybody, take care. Have a great week. Thank you for joining us here on the Forgotten Quarterbacks with host W. Earl Kitching. Join us as we discuss more about the legacies of black quarterbacks who've played the game of American football. 